When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to The Tint. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, part of being the, the point man uh, for a company and for a movement, for that matter, that fosters a bit of an alternative, perhaps even a rebellious spin on the way we keep and look at aquariums, is that you find yourself on the receiving end of occasional incoming fire from those who feel your ideas somehow diminish or disparage their view of how things should be in the hobby. It's part of the game, and I've long ago stopped taking this stuff personally or even caring, to be quite frank. However, the important for me, uh, important thing for me is to always look for a sort of a teaching moment or an opportunity when these criticisms come my way. I know, very altruistic of me, right? And it never typically works out like that, but it's worth a shot, right? I think so. <clears throat> and I, excuse me, and I freely admit, as someone who fancies himself a writer, it's a bit tough to keep from going down the proverbial rabbit hole when addressing this stuff and sounding like a total ass, but I tried. The concerns from those who don't follow the work and ideas of our community, haven't studied the 700 or so blogs and podcasts that we've put out and researched, or even looked at some of the photos of wild aquatic habitats that we feature always center on the very two things that we spend the most mental capital on in our world, the look and the function of our aquariums. Now, the criticisms generally start with the look. I know that much of the love in the modern aquascaping world is given to things like, you know, surgical cleanliness, manufactured, manicured plants, you know, carefully symmetrical rock work, proportion, negative space, and many of the most, you know, breathtakingly beautiful contestscapes adeptly embrace these concepts. And I get that. That's awesome. It's all well and good. Nature, on the other hand, couldn't give a flying fuck about that. And neither should you. Ouch. I know I'm on a warpath this morning. I have my coffee. I'm good. But it's true, though. Yesterday, um, and this hasn't happened in a while, but it happens. I had a rather one-sided discussion. Actually, it was mostly uh, him attacking uh, with a fanboy of a certain type of uh, certain style of aquascaping who took tremendous amount of pleasure in telling me that our interpretation of nature and our embrace of decomposing leaves, biofilms, detritus and such is, and I quote, a setback for the hobby of aquascaping, which those of you who know me and my desire to provoke reactions understand that I absolutely loved hearing that. I mean, it, I was like, yeah, we, we made a point here. And that it's not possible to capture nature with our approach, which is an ignorant, almost beyond stupid point of view. I mean, first of all, what the hell does capture nature mean? Uh, word salad. I was like, come on, dude, really? It's 2020 and we're still at it with this stuff? Uh, you know where I'm going, where this stuff is going today, right? I mean, sure. Now, for everyone's benefit, I'll sort of share my opinions on this stuff yet again. Perhaps you might find it useful when questioned by one of these friendly, open-minded folks. You've heard me say this a million times before. Oh, a newsflash. What we proffer, our interpretation of nature, is not everyone's idea of a dreamy aquarium. Frankly, it puts off some people. It scares the living shit out of others. And many just don't understand. They can't get past the brown, soupy water and all the good stuff that goes with it. 
And in my humble opinion, they've been sort of programmed by the world of perfectly clean sand, bright lighting, rocks you could eat off of, and wood that on day 45 looks as sterile as it was the day it was first submerged. Oh, wait a second. Don't those guys usually break down their tanks by day 45? Ouch. Come on, Feldman. That was just mean. Yeah, okay, it was. I get it. We all get it. Yet some of the adherents to this rigid interpretation of nature love to call me on this for some weird reason to tamp down our ideas just a bit, I suppose. Okay, reality check, guys. What you do is cool. Seriously, it's rad. Do you and keep sharing your fine work. However, stop trashing what you don't really understand. You need to understand that nature is not always clean and tidy. In fact, most of the time it isn't. If you buy into the head-scratching hobby narrative that every pristine, high-concept contest aquarium is somehow what nature looks like, you're simply fooling yourself. Sure, there are some really clear sparkling habitats out there in the world, but they represent the exception, really. And I'll go out, out on a limb there and suggest that none of them have you know, tidy rolls of symmetrically trimmed, color-balanced plants or neatly arranged rocks of perfect size and proportion. Talking tough here, but I can't stress this enough. If you really want to understand the natural aquatic habitats of our fishes, some of you have to get out of the idealized aquascaping mindset bubble for just a bit. <clears throat> excuse me, and stop dissing everything that doesn't fit into your, you know, idea of the way the world should be, and just accept the realities which nature presents. I'm actually a bit surprised we still get occasional DMs like this. So I got to push back a little bit, but I'm not going to push back by trashing your point of view. I'm going to push back by maybe convincing you what we do is, is different and interesting. Now, I'm not at all joking when I tell you that I take an aquarium that can faithfully replicate uh, an igarape or a uh, uh, Pantanal meadow that's flooded with decomposing leaves and biofilms and turbid water and all kinds of stuff. I would take that, an aquarium that replicates that, the form and the function of that, over any, you know, IAPLC Grand Champion Aquarium, like any day of the week. Like if you gave me one of those guys' aquariums and he came over and trimmed it and maintained it, I still wouldn't take it. I wouldn't want it in my house. I don't want, you know, a fairy forest or, you know, fantasy rock work and all that stuff. It just doesn't work for me. And I get it. Do you. That's cool. But I would have no hesitation at all taking the grungiest looking natural inspired aquatic habitat in a functional aquarium form over one of those things any day. None. None whatsoever. Tinted, turbid water, sediment, biofilm, decomposing botanical materials, soil, random scattering of branches covered in fungal growth. To me, it's freaking gorgeous. Beyond anything I've ever seen in any contest anywhere on planet Earth. Unfiltered nature. Okay, I'm not mentioning this to brag about how avant-garde love of dirty, often chaotic aquariums makes us cooler than the glass pipe and stupidly named aquascaping stone crowd or something like that. I'm not. However, I want you to understand the degree that which we at Tenant Aquatics, that being me and my crew, love the concept of nature in its most compelling form and how strongly we feel that as a global community of hobbyists need to look beyond what's regularly presented to us as a natural aquarium and really give this stuff some thought. We can and should interpret natural aquatic features more literally in our aquariums. Now, not all of nature requires us to make extreme aesthetic preference shifts in order to love it. Well, maybe not all of it. A lot of it, though. Let's look at some interesting aquatic features from nature which push us out of our collective hobby comfort zone. Let's try to think about why we hesitate so much to replicate them and what to expect when we do try to replicate them. We could all appreciate this, I think. Now, one concept that critics seem to delight in leveling against those of us who play with botanical-style aquariums is our love of letting nature take an active role 
in our aquariums, embracing a certain degree of randomness in our aquariums. They call it sloppy or undisciplined. Okay. In general, it helps to ask questions about why things look the way they do in nature, which is what we're trying to replicate here. What creates these aggregations of woods, soils, leaves, etc., that we as a hobby spend so much time and energy trying to wrap our heads around? Could it be that factors like current, weather events, and wind distribute materials the way they do for a reason? Could our fishes benefit from replicating this dynamic in our aquariums? And is there not incredible beauty in that apparent randomness? Now, there are some ideas that are significant departures from what you'll normally see, yet are not radical enough to discourage you from maybe accepting some different aesthetics and functions in the aquarium. Let's, let's look at some of these. For example, there's a lot of aquatic habitats in nature which are filled with tangles of terrestrial plant roots coming in from the margins or emergent vegetation, fallen branches, which virtually fill these small bodies of water, little pools and temporary streams where you'll see a tremendous amount of you know, wood or, or, or terrestrial plant product going in and filling the, the, the water, fill virtually all the space. Now, these types of habitats are unique. They attract large quantities of smaller fishes to the protection of their you know, big matrix of structures. Submerged fallen branches or roots of marginal terrestrial plants provide a large surface area upon which algae, biofilm, and fungal growth occurs. This, in turn, attracts higher life forms like crustaceans and aquatic insects. And yeah, that brings our friends, the fishes, to the party. These are incredible habitats for fishes. Can't we you know, replicate these uh, in our aquariums? Of course we can. This, ide this idea of you know, functional aesthetics is what we're talking about here. It's a package that's a bit different than the way we would normally present an aquarium. We hesitate as a hobby to densely pack an aquarium like this, don't we? Why do you think this is? I think we hesitate because, quite frankly, having a large mass of tangled branches or roots and stuff and the associated distritis that comes with them in the cozy confines of an aquarium tends to limit the size, number, and swimming area of fishes, right? Okay, it does. And, of course, it makes those of us that are obsessed with you know, scraping algae or getting a siphon hose in there, it's a challenge a bit. On the other hand, I think there's something oddly compelling, intricate, and just beautiful about complex, spatially full aquascapes. And when you take into account that these are actually very realistic, entirely functional representations of certain natural habitats, it becomes all the more interesting to me. Now, what can you expect when you execute something like this in the aquarium? I'll tell you. Well, for one thing, it will take up a fair amount of space in the tank. Duh. Depending on the type of materials that you use, driftwood, roots, twigs, or branches, you will, of course, displace varying amounts of water. So, for example, if you tend to use a lighter, more diffuse material, like melastoma root, for example, or the material that we call tangle branch wood, you'll displace, you know, displace less water from the aquarium than you would if you're using denser, larger materials like manzanita or other big pieces of wood, you know, mopani or whatever. It's really up to you in terms of the effect, of course. However, a dense matrix of root, you know, material like roots will recruit biofilms after a relatively short period of time. This stuff will likely ebb and flow, largely dissipating after a relatively short period of time. However, there are no guarantees and you will 100% see this stuff on the surfaces at some point. It's not going to look crystal clear, uh, pristine after a couple of weeks. What you choose to do is up to you. You can wait it out, manually remove it with a siphon uh, and brush it off, whatever. Uh, keep in mind that this biofilm growth is precisely what will happen in nature in densely packed aquatic systems with a fair amount of nutrients, sediment, and... Um, you know, not a significant volume of flow. This is par for the course. Stuff settles on branches and further fuels biofilm growth. It's a rich, highly productive microhabitat that hosts an astonishing amount of life. 
Another potential problem with this kind of configuration in the aquarium is that you'll have to decide for yourself just how hard to push the lighting over the tank. Too much and you'll be growing a big batch of stringy gooey algae. You have to play with it, especially if your purpose for lighting the tank is aesthetic as opposed to facilitating plant growth. Uh, I know because I purposely pushed it to the limit in one of the many iterations of my so-called Tucano Tangle Aquarium, blasting the shit out of this tank with light to see exactly what would happen. And well, it was a fairly predictable result. You know, light plus nutrient plus limited water movement equals algae. Duh. On the other hand, with the right balance of light, diffuse or dim or whatever, uh, fishes, water movement, you could achieve a beautiful result with a dense matrix of root or wood and none of that nasty stuff. Ideas like this require multiple mental shifts and an acceptance that you may not be completely in control of the whole game. Uncomfortable with this idea? I totally understand. It's hardly revolutionary or crazy, yet to attempt to replicate one of those types of complex natural habitats in the aquarium requires us to look ourselves in the mirror and see if we're up to the challenges, aesthetic and otherwise, of doing it. Had enough of this? Or are you thirsty for more? I submit to you the idea of turbant sediment-filled tanks, where dead branchy material, decomposing leaves, twigs, biofilms, clays, soil, and silt play. This type of feature really pushes us out of our comfort zone. You have silty sediment and material, which when disturbed will claw the water for a bit, you know, a bit for days at a time sometimes. Sort of like what happens in nature, but it's in your living room. Can you handle this? Maybe. What's the upside to a tank like this? Well, for one thing, you have the benefit of a substrate, which actively leaches minerals, organic materials, and other compounds into the water. It also fosters the growth and proliferation, boy, I always have trouble with that word, proliferation, of fungi, bacteria, and microorganisms, which not only facilitate processing of dissolved organics, but serve as a supplemental food source for our fishes. This is extremely similar to the benefits such areas of flooded forest floors and overflowing streams and such provide in nature. It's a very different type of aesthetic beauty than we're used to. It's an elegant, remarkably complex microhabitat, which is host to an enormous variety of life forms. And it's a radical departure from our normal interpretation of how a tank should look. It challenges us, not only aesthetically, it challenges us to appreciate the function and it can provide if we let it. That's that functional aesthetics thing again. Suffice it to say, there are no rules in rediscovering the unfiltered art beneath the surface, our movement, believes in representing nature as it exists in both form and function without editing the very attributes of randomness and resulting function that make it so amazing. I think we're utterly inspired by this. We're about the preservation of the biofilms, the decomposition, and that patina of biocover that exists when terrestrial materials contact water. Understanding that these materials break down and influence the environment, and that this process doesn't always conform to our hobby interpretation of what is beautiful, an appreciation of the ephemeral, the transformational, the transitional, it makes sense to me. I believe that there's a huge hunger in the aquarium hobby to find out more about the natural habitats from where our fishes come from and to create more realistic functional representations of them in our aquariums. I really do. In my own rebellious way, I can't help but think that part of this enthusiasm, which a growing number of aquarists seems to have for this stuff, is that aquarium hobbyists in general have a bit of a rebellious streak too. Our taste and style is changing and maybe, just maybe, we're collectively a bit, well, over the idea of rule-centric, monostylistic, overly dogmatic thinking that's dominated the aquascaping world for the better part of the decade. Maybe it's time to look at nature as an inspiration again, but to look at nature as it exists, not trying to sanitize it, clean it up, or meet our expectations of what an aquarium is supposed to look like. And by the same token, also to understand that not every hobbyist wants to or can go to the other extreme, trying to validate every twig, rock, and plant in a given habitat as if we're being scored by some 
higher power, a universal quality assurance team, which must certify that each and every rock and branch is indeed from the real Manakarapu, for example, or your work is just some sort of tragedy. I mean, we don't want that either. At the end of the day, look, we should all do what we love. That's a given. However, we should also stop convincing ourselves, and that includes me and my crowd too, that what we do is the only way to achieve a successful, beautiful aquarium. There's so much we can learn from each other and much we can learn from nature, which can help us create more successful aquariums. We use this term a lot, but blurring the lines between nature and aquarium from an aesthetic standpoint, at the very least, and in many respects from a functional sense as well, provides just how far, you know, proves just how far we as a hobby have come, how good you are at what you do. That's an incredible dynamic. Those who profess loudly that their highly stylized interpretation of nature is somehow a better way to manage an aquarium than a system which fosters the you know, the processes, and as a collateral benefit, the look of nature in a more realistic way, should take a deep breath and study wild, you know, aquatic habitats holistically. It'll not only make their works better and more meaningful, it'll give them an understanding of how nature works and what outside pressures that these habitats face from human intervention. It helps us to appreciate, understand, and protect them for future generations to enjoy. At the end of the day, I admit that our approach is less easily digested than many other approaches. Yet I believe that there's an elegance, an educational component, and a beauty that botanical-style aquariums can deliver like no other. Continue to take pride in what you do. Don't let dogma and the prevailing mindset of what's cool distract you from doing what you love and believe in. Embrace, enjoy, and accept the delight of what you do. Uh, Accept the thoughts, the attitudes, and the works of others while constantly questioning and striving to do what moves you. Question, observe, and query those who do things different than you. However, don't just levy criticism or something on something you don't understand because it differs radically than what you love so much. Find out what makes your heart sing and do it. Share it with the world. Educate, listen, enjoy. You'll never be wrong that way. Stay open-minded. Stay creative. Stay bold. Stay curious. Stay diligent. And always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tin.